Well, welcome back to another edition of the Red Reporter Podcast. We are uh, coming to you on the evening of October 3rd. Uh, the, um, the filthy St. Louis Cardinals just managed to tie up the first game of the National League Division Series in Atlanta against the Braves. It's 3-3 in the eighth, so we're uh, going to be watching that game while uh, casting a little bit of a pod here that's somewhat playoff-related, but also Reds-related, obviously, because... Uh, despite the fact that the playoffs have gotten kicked off this week, the Reds have actually been making some pretty pretty pertinent news in the baseball world, um, which is kind of funny this time of year because obviously it's been a while since they've been able to do that kind of impact on the field um, in early October. Um, anyway, I'm your host, Wick. I'm joined this week uh, from RedReporter.com and Fangraphs.com by Tony Wolf. Tony, what's going on, buddy? I'm doing good. Doing good. How are you, Wick? I'm good, man. I'm quite good. It's uh, it's good to have playoff baseball back. It's it's weird the the way this red season went. Um, it felt like it did a little bit better job of actually bridging the gap from opening day to caring about the playoffs that we've been able to have the last five years or so. When uh, uh, despite the fact that we continue to cover games on a day to day basis, the Reds were pretty much uh, dead and buried by I don't know May. Um, so it seems like kind of all of a sudden the playoffs are here because uh, the, the regular season actually mattered a little bit more this year. Um, also joining us from Cincinnati, former Red Reporters, fearless leader, Brandon Grayling. BK, what's going on, buddy? What's going on, Wick? How are you? Uh, not much. Uh, I'm good, man. And, and, yeah. and, and despite not a lot going on in theory, the Reds have uh, taken the first couple days of October to make some news, which is – Positive news in that as well, um, uh, I guess, on the whole. Uh, just to kind of recap what we've had happen in the last uh, calendar uh, week, uh, we've seen Turner Ward, who was the, one of the, the, the big, big hires that David Bell and Dick Williams brought in to be on David Bell's first staff this past year, the former hitting coach of the, uh, uh, the world-beating Los Angeles Dodgers. It was announced that he's not going to be retained for next year, along with – uh, a long list of guys, including uh, Billy Hasher, who's a former Red and obviously a staple of the coaching staff. Uh, Danny Darwin, who took over as pitching coach of the Reds uh, last year after Brian Price and his staff was fired. Um, major, major shakeups on the coaching staff um, in the wake of uh, uh, the 75 and 87 finish. Um, but also the biggest announcement of it all probably is the hiring of driveline baseball's Cal Bode to take over as kind of um, – well, let's see. I don't have the uh, uh, I don't have the the multi page title that he was given when hired of a director of pitching initiative slash pitching coordinator slash pitching guru, whatever you want to call him. Um, a major kind of third party contractor in the pitching development world over the last handful of years. Uh, he's going to be part of the Red staff, and the Reds brought him in um, despite the fact that he had very public offers from the likes of the Chicago Cubs, among other teams. Um, it's an interesting shakeup. It's not just a shakeup, but it seems to kind of be a uh, a very public change in direction from where the the kind of old school Reds have been, uh, and definitely a break from uh, the last vestiges of the the Walt Jockety Dusty Baker style Reds era. Um, 
What are your thoughts on the hire of Kyle Bodie, the change of the coaching staff after just one season with David Bell, uh, and kind of what this signifies for the Reds, not just this year, uh, but as they approach a big, important 2020 season um, and beyond. Uh, Tony, you want to jump off on that, man? Yeah, you know, I, I wrote about Kyle Bodie's hire uh, the other day, and and the, the biggest thing about it is just the, the – the concerted effort by the organization to move into the future with its with its player development, specifically its pitcher development, they haven't been good in that area in recent years. Uh, you know, they they had the worst pitching staff in baseball for about five years in a row uh, before this season, and then this season they they improved quite a bit, but they they did so at the major league level, and they did so by. Uh, not only bringing in a lot of guys from outside the organization who had already established their skill sets, but also by bringing in a new pitching coach, Derek Johnson from Milwaukee Brewers, who uh, who is probably the best pitching coach in baseball. And, and he uh, combined with some of those new arms like Sonny Gray, uh, Tanner Roark before he was uh, traded, um, and then a few of the existing arms like Luis Castillo, uh, Mary Garrett, Robert Stevenson, uh, he really turned this pitching staff around, and uh, you know, so so the Reds the Reds had that kind of the Reds took that kind of step in the in the majors, uh, but but still lagged behind in in their minor league development. You know, there really weren't any uh, pitchers on, on the Reds farm system who who you could think of that really took big steps this year. You know, Tony Santi Tony Tony Santillan uh, had another. Uh, up and down season hunter green obviously missed the whole year with uh you know recovering from surgery uh scott moss uh another interesting guy he ended up being traded uh as part of that deal to get to bring in trevor bauer so you know the reds needed needed to do a lot of work uh this the this winter uh to to really vamp up their that their minor league pitching development and Kyle Bodie is a guy that that does that. He is the name essentially when it comes to uh, developing pitchers and using using outside the box tendencies and and really bringing in a new school approach that is pretty much the antithesis of everything the Reds have done uh, in recent seasons. So that that in and of itself is is really exciting and it, it's you know what when you when you think of what Kyle Bodie set up with driveline, you know, the, the thing that I think he has admitted himself over the years is that a lot of, a lot of the pitchers who are coming to him are coming to him looking to revive their careers. You know, you had guys like Casey Weathers that, you know, one of the viral stories uh, of, of driveline over the past couple of years who showed up after having two surgeries and being a former major league prospect, but, only throwing in the basically in the mid eighties and then worked with driveline for a few months and, and emerged throwing like 97. Um, you know, he never, he never brought, he never made to the majors, but you know, you had a lot of guys like that with driveline who were coming in saying, I, I need you to save my baseball career. This is, uh, this is the first chance he's really had to work with guys who already have, you know, promise who already have a lot of, uh, a, a lot of uh, you know major league potential and set and and get to guide uh, those kinds of players and you know the Reds have you know the Reds might not have a but the 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 level of uh, 
uh, you know, top arms that the Padres do, that the that the Braves do in the minor leagues. But they've got some exciting uh, arms that you know that these next in these next couple of seasons, it's going to be really really interesting to see how they develop under uh, Bodie's tutelage. And, and it's worth pointing out as well, and you mentioned this kind of uh, at the end, is that uh, so many of his initial uh, guys were guys who came in saying, hey, I, I don't have what it takes to make it to the majors. Can you resurrect my career? Um, one of those guys was Caleb Gotham, who the Reds hired this time last year to come in with Derek Johnson uh, and be their assistant uh, pitching. Well, I guess he's technically now their assistant pitching coach. He had a, another interesting title last year as well, kind of coming into things, but effectively the assistant pitching coach. Um, one of the guys the Reds picked up in the oldest Chapman trade from the Yankees. Um, also a Vandy guy who Derek Johnson knew extensively beforehand and worked with uh, Kirk Casale as well and brought with him kind of um, uh, almost a teaser uh, uh, of what it was analytically that, that Bodie and Driveline had done at their facility in, in Washington. Um, then there's Trevor Bauer, who you mentioned as well, who has obviously been pretty much the poster boy for uh, Driveline's uh, success. And obviously Bauer was a, was a pretty highly touted guy before starting to work with Driveline, but he has continued to work out there in the off seasons as well. Um, he's very publicly documented the fact that he doesn't take a whole lot of time off after seasons. Uh, he pretty much takes a week or so off and then heads straight to Driveline and gets back to business. So um, on the surface, it's interesting to see uh, that Bodie's brought in because just, you know, Independent of that, he's somebody who's very well regarded in the pitching development world. Um, but then you start to factor in the other connections there, and you look up at some of the threads that have kind of uh, begun to take shape in the way that the Reds have remodeled their entire pitching staff, uh, coaches specifically, and you start to see a little bit more of a trend there. And you start to wonder, hey, um, you know, when, when Bauer was brought in and they gave up tra Taylor Trammell last year, and, and you suddenly you were like, wait, why did they go out and give all of that up for a guy who, A, has said very publicly he doesn't want to sign long-term deals and go year to year, and B, has only 2020 before he reaches – free agency. Um, is this one of those moves that A, was in the works before they made the Trevor Bauer deal come through and just now is getting announced? And B, is this something that signifies that maybe the Reds are trying to keep guys like Trevor Bauer along or around beyond the 2020 season? Um, it's interesting. It's going to be incredibly interesting to see not just the direction that the rest of the farm system takes, but also how this impacts the big league transactions and the payroll that they're putting together, um, which is something that I'm incredibly interested to watch. Uh, BK, what are your thoughts on, on on not just the hiring of Bodie, but also the transition from guys like Hatcher and Darwin, who are longtime big leaguers and have been a part of this organization for a while, and what that kind of signifies in terms of the direction where the Zoo Reds are going? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, just going back to to the Bodie stuff really quick. I mean, obviously, I think uh, the the point that Tony brought up um, about basically what they saw out of Caleb Cotham at the, at the big league level, um, you know, bringing Bodie in really just kind of helps to solidify that mindset throughout the entire organization. So I think it'll be really, really great to, uh, to keep that consistency and uh, carry that over. And I, you know, it's, it's crazy to think of how, how instrumental uh, probably Trevor Bauer was to, to getting Kyle Bodie to come to Cincinnati over, you know, the, the Cubs and the Mets and whoever, whoever else uh, he had offers from, but, you know, looking, looking at the, uh, the hitting side, it, it is definitely a huge shift. You know, really 
you know, they brought in Turner Ward who had a, a pretty good track record and um, was, was a pretty highly regarded hire last year along with Derek Johnson, who um, you know, definitely worked out better than Turner Ward did. Um, you know, I, I, I do wonder, you know, what, why it took so long to make a move like that, to, um, to make moves like getting rid of guys who have been around forever, like Billy Hatcher, who I, I think a lot, a lot of Reds fans are going to be sad to see him go. Obviously he was the a first base coach uh, for a real long time, third base coach for a little bit. Um, and then has, has been with the organization for, for almost 20 years. I, I feel like uh, even after his playing days. So um, I, I think it definitely speaks volumes that they were willing to get rid of a guy like that um, in the in the name of you know turning the page and moving on. Um, so I'll, I'll be interested to see what kind of presence they bring in uh, on the hitting side. I'm wondering if it'll be somebody more analytical, um, somebody kind of kind of a new school hitting coach. But um, you know, honestly, I don't even know the first thing about who would be out there that would that would fit that description. <laughs> Right. Uh, maybe they'll just make Joey Votto the hitting coach. <laughs> Why not, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's worth noting to kind of circle back on things. I, I mentioned uh, the, the speculating on Bauer being around beyond just 2020. Um, you know, he mentioned when he first got traded to the Reds how, how much he had hoped back in college that he would have got an offer from Dandy and had a chance to go work with Derek yeah. Johnson and was excited to have that opportunity. Now, now you've got Cal Bode coming in as well. So it's basically like the two guys he most wanted to work with are both – there, um, which just is it's yeah. If, if it's you're a great, Bauer, why, why would you leave? It's a great coincidence. It's a very great coincidence <laughs> that this is all happening. If it's not, uh, so who knows how much this there that that way? But also to, to, to you know on the opposite of things, um, the Red Sire Turner Award last year, and then struck the huge deal with the Dodgers, and we made such a big deal last offseason about how close Yasiel Puig and Turner Ward were, and how maybe that would mean that, that Yasiel Puig will be the answer in right field and the big bat that they needed, and we'll stick around long term. And yeah. yeah, and that that didn't work. And a year later, that's that's a non-issue. So um, not to suggest that that's something that is, I, I think is is set in stone, um, but just kind of reading the tea leaves, it's kind of hard to ignore uh, how much the Reds have been willing to kind of um, surround uh, their biggest midseason acquisition in 2020 uh, with people that work well with him, which, uh, A, given his personality and his track record, is hard to find, and, B, <laughs> they found both of them. So um, so it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, kind of in parallel with that, I mean, we're talking about the coaching staff changes um, and kind of organizational philosophy changes. Um one thing about moving on from guys like Billy Hatcher, who obviously is a club legend from his work in 1990 and uh, having been with the organization for 20 years, whether or not the moves they make are going to work, I think it is becoming increasingly clear that the Reds are being unwilling to just stick with status quo. Um, and they are going to continue to press the issue and making changes if they aren't winning. On the field, obviously, that that is going to have to percolate a little bit as well. And Dick Williams has not shied away from making some pretty uh, aggressive statements about what it is the Reds are intending to do this winter and in 2020, um, saying explicitly this week that it's postseason or a failure in 2020 mentioning that they're willing to dip into the free agent market, which is something that they obviously haven't done. Um, 
you know, we've been kicking around uh, uh, in in the Reds fandom channels and be it Twitter or Slack or whatever uh, the last couple of days about the fact that the Coco Cordero four-year, $45 million contract from 11 years ago is still to this day the biggest contract they've ever given out to a free agent. Uh, and that Ryan Ludwig's two-year, I think, $18.5 million deal uh, is the biggest free agent deal they've ever given to a hitter, um, which sounds – crazy, honestly, uh, given where we are in this $7 billion industry that is baseball. Um, the fact of the matter is that there are several free agents out there that the Reds could use that look to be pretty good fits and um, just so happen to have been former Reds also, which kind of makes all of this that much more interesting. But uh, John uh, Hammond from uh, MLB Network and wherever the hell he writes for now uh, mentioned earlier this week, that Yasmani Grandal, who is now out of the playoffs after the Brewers blew their their lead against the Nationals in the wild card game, uh, is probably going to be a free agent the moment he declines his half of his mutual option. Uh, and fresh off a 380 on base percentage and another brilliant pitch framing uh, campaign is easily the best catcher on the market and one of the two or three best position player free agents on the market. And Heyman mentioned that the Reds are expected to pursue signing him this offseason. Um Obviously, the Reds chased JT Realmuto this time last year and lost out on him when the the Marlins agreed to trade him to the Phillies. Uh, But the Reds realized, A, that they thought they needed a little bit more offensive upgrade, which Realmuto obviously would have been, and B, behind the plate seemed to be a spot where they thought they could upgrade. Um, So the idea that they would be interested in the biggest offensive and two-way talent at catcher this offseason – Shouldn't come as too much of a surprise. Um, uh, the parallels obviously are quite obvious. What he would bring to the table are quite obvious as well. But the fact that the Reds are publicly saying we're going to dive into free agency to me is almost more important than the names that get attached because that's just something that they've never done before. And so you parallel that, or, uh, you, you roll that in with the Kyle Bodie thing and, and moving on from the old coaches. And it certainly seems like the Reds are getting a sense of urgency here and they're willing to spend money, which they haven't done in years past. What are your thoughts on the early uh, uh, quotes that they've put out there and what you think the Reds might actually be willing to pull off uh, this winter? Uh, BK, how about you start this one off? Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously the, the grand all rumor is, is really a pretty juicy one. Um, just kind of given, you know, that they were looking for a catcher, they decided to hold off a year, gave, you know, Tucker Barnhart, Kirk Casale, Kyle Farmer, you know, Juan Gratterall, gave all those guys a shot at it. Nobody really took it over. Um, they didn't really get the production uh, that they were hoping to get out of that. And, um, you know, Yasmani Grandal back on the market, um, you know, it makes it makes a lot of sense. Um, I it, it would be interesting to see if they would – be willing to give up on a guy like uh, Tucker Barnhart, who has been with the organization for for as long as he has, and is uh, under team control on a on a pretty team friendly yeah, contract a as very well. Friendly deal, um, you know. Obviously, they he signed that deal, you know, kind of expecting some loyalty from from the team on that, and uh, it it would kind of seem kind of antithetical to the the plans to this point to see uh, if they would bring somebody in above him, but you know, at the same time, they got, they're going to win in 2020. So, you know, it's, it's really, it's kind of make or break. And, 
you know, you, you get what, what's out there and he's, if he's the guy out there and you can get him, uh, you know, you, you go for it if you're the Reds. So that's, I, I that's, would like yeah. this to happen. Yeah, that's kind of where I am as well. I mean, the, the Reds posted a team uh, way to run straight a plus of 87 this year, which was, uh, I think, sixth worst in all of baseball um, and 13% below league average. And the fact of the matter is, um, even if Taylor Trammell had not been traded, uh, it didn't look like what he did this year was going to make him an instant call-up to start 2020. Uh, right. And you look at some of the rest of the guys, uh, the top prospects in the system – uh, none of them really had seasons in 2019 that suggested that they were ready to jump in and be that next big bat uh, for 2020. Um, Tyler Stevenson, for as good of a season as he had, was still just in Double A and probably needs some more seasoning at Triple A as well. Uh, Jose Siri had a very disappointing offensive season. Um, guys like Brian O'Grady got called up and had phenomenal years, uh, but it was also the first year that they had the the big league ball in Triple A, and you just it's hard to find um, uh, an exact baseline for what to expect out of guys like that who went from fringe prospects to hitting 30 home runs, uh, and then obviously got up to the big leagues and had bit part playing time. Um, the Reds need an offensive burst in 2020. They absolutely do. And if you look up at what you saw in 2019 from the guys who look to be part of the big league roster in 2020, you've got Eugenio Suarez, who looks to be a guy that is going to be continued to be a, a rock in the lineup. Um, and then you've got pretty much question marks all across the diamond after that. Uh, Jesse Winker got hurt. Nixon Zell Hurt coming off labrum surgery. Is he a center fielder or an infielder? Who knows? Uh, Aristides Aquino, for as brilliant as August was, his September was a big step back, and he was a guy who was outright off the roster a year ago because of how poor uh, his upper minor production had been. What can you expect from him going forward? Um, Scooter's gone. Uh, Yasiel Puig is gone. Um, Joey Votto, uh, who knows how good his swing adjustment will carry over at age 36 going on 37. Um the fact is, if the additions are going to be made and the payroll is going to get jacked up this winter, it's got to be offensive-based. And to hear the Reds connected to guys like Yasmani Grandal, who had a brilliant offensive year and is also hands down one of the best pitch framers in baseball, um, that's exciting. And it also tells you the Reds are willing to go get not just – uh, what they need, but the exact player they think can fill it best. And that's exciting. Um, Tony, what are your thoughts on this, man? Yeah, it's, you know, the Reds were, uh, the Reds were 16th in, in catcher war, according to fan graphs this season. So it, they weren't quite as bad as you might've, uh, thought of, you might've thought they were. But uh, just I, I sorry, sorry to interrupt, but if you're looking at that right now, how close is 16th to like 25th? Uh, I, I navigated away from it immediately. Yeah, I was going to say, because um, I, I looked at that also, and I think they have like 1.2 or 1.4 collective uh, F4, uh, Fangrass wins above replacement, egg catching. But I want to say like 25th was at like 0.8, you know? And yeah. to, to me, like if you're within a half and you're talking about multiple players at a position like that, like that's that's a pretty fractional difference that could go a lot of different ways given all the variables. Um, but when you look at like the top tier of four or five teams, you're talking – four, four plus wins above replacement. So like a pretty clear chasm between where where, where they were and, and where guys like Grandall or guys like Real Mudo, the teams that had them, the production they were getting there out of that. Sorry to interrupt, but I, that's something I looked at like a day or so ago and was I don't have it up in front of me either. And was like, oh shit, that's, I, I know that stat. I was looking at that. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's just like the state of 
catchers in baseball right now. There, you've got about you know two or three or maybe four really really good ones, and Realmuto and and Grandal and and maybe Gary Sanchez and uh, probably a couple others that aren't coming to mind right you know right away. But 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 that's pretty much it. Um, after that, there there seems to be a pretty immediate uh, you know drop in terms of uh, quality. You know, there's only a, a very very select few star catchers in baseball and if you can get one of those then yeah that's a that's a pretty huge uh huge opportunity um i i'm also i'm also interested in in what they would what they would then do with tyler stevenson because i you know it's it he doesn't he doesn't seem like the kind of player that is uh sort of like an uh what austin barnes was i believe in uh in la uh, I, might, I might have the name wrong um but you know a guy who could you know, also, you know, oh, oh, if we're not going to use him at catcher, maybe he would play third base or second base. Tyler Stevenson, right, right, that kind of player. So, it, I, it would, it would, I, I'd be interested in, in what moves ripple off of a uh, Yasmani Grandal signing in terms of, you know, okay, if we're going to go with Grandal, we've already got Barnhart, uh, you know, locked up long term. Uh, he isn't. He, I don't, I don't think that Tucker Barnhart is a starter quality catcher. Uh, any more than Kurt Casale is, or or or, or anyone else, uh, in terms of you know really starting on on a playoff quality team, but uh, but both of those guys would make would make pretty solid backups. So, uh, but you know, Greg, you don't really have a spot for 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 Tyler Stevenson, and so, and so how do you how do you then turn turn him into possibly a uh, bullpen arm or making another deal uh, of that kind? So. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I, I, the Osmani Grandal, uh, being on the Reds would be a, a, an enormous upgrade, uh, even on a, you know, probably, th- uh, four or five year deal, I think, uh, would, would be a really, a really good move for the organization. Uh, it, it, I, but I'm also, I'm also interested to see what, what kinds of, uh, moves would, would, would get made off of that. Uh, I, the thing about Grandal specifically is is he, his year this year uh, featured career highs in games played, at bats, played appearances, walks, all of the above. In part because he got twenty games at first base, um, and he's a switch hitter who also hits incredibly well from the right side. And so when you look up at well, as the uh, the Cardinals throw some devil magic in and have come back and are now up five to three uh, on the Braves. Um, you look at Grandal as a fit, not just behind the plate, but you look at him as a fit for the Reds for the next, say, three years. And if the Reds could sign him for, say, I don't know, spitballing here, three years and $56 million, which he made $18 million this year and didn't do anything to diminish his value at that point. If you could get him on a deal like that, uh, not to say that's what he's going to sign for. He might cost more than that. Um, but you bring him in to be your primary catcher for the next three years. I don't think that blocks Tyler Stevenson. You know, um, mm-hmm. if you if you take Tyler Stevenson as a as a high school catcher who hasn't hit AAA yet, my best guess is he's got next year at AAA. Twenty twenty one rolls around. Grendel's got two years left on his contract. You found out what you can do with Tucker Barnhart and Kirk Casale by then. You know, Turk Barnhart and Kirk Casale are both guys who are serviceable catchers now, but neither are guys you build around at this point. Um, on great teams, they're great backup catchers who get 50 starts, 
and can pinch it and come in late and allow you to move guys around the diamond. Um, you trade one of them if you sign Yasmati Grandal. You, you pretty much have to, especially with the presence of Cal Farmer on the roster. Uh, but two years from now, when Tyler Stevenson looks to begin his rookie year in 2021, as maybe the backup, maybe the guy who, who gets 50, 60 starts, you've got a 38 going on 39-year-old Joey Votto. Um, you've got Yasmati Grandal who plays very well at first base and hits – Left-handed pitching a lot better than Joey Votto has hit the last two years. Uh, you get Grandall 100, 110 starts behind the plate. You put him at first base. You give him the chance to be a pinch hitter in big spots because you've got Kyle Farmer on the roster to be your emergency catcher. Uh, to me, it adds a bat that still fits in with the greater scheme of not just the Reds' offense, but also what David Bell has shown his proclivity to be as a manager, which is to move guys around, to make proactive strategic changes, to to play matchups, to get guys in the best spots against the best uh, uh, matchups that he can possibly find. Um, I think he fits, and I think he fits while still bringing a very big, potent bat um, back to the lineup. And so for me, he seems like not just an upgrade, but almost the perfect upgrade for what the Reds need uh, at a position that doesn't look like a position of need per se, but when you factor in his ability to kind of let other things work a little bit more fluidly, um, he seems like a guy that, that really does move the needle as an addition, whether it's at $16 million over four years or $20 million over three years. Um, I think the Reds can afford that. I think they've committed to being uh, willing to spend that. And I really do like the way he fits in there. And let's be honest, he'll be 31 this upcoming season. But uh, catchers have always kind of tended to be, well, assuming they make it to age 30 still healthy, uh, pitchers or catchers have kind of seemed to be peaking around that age. Uh, that's where Yadier Molina kind of peaked. That's where Jonathan Lucroy kind of peaked. Um, it takes catchers a little while to kind of reach that moment where, uh, they're both healthy and sustainable behind the plate, uh, but also get a chance to really produce offensively as well once they've realized all of the other things that go into being a catcher in Major League Baseball. Um, I think he's in his prime, and I think the Reds are in a very, very good spot to accommodate him, uh, not just in 2020, but also 2020 through, say, 2023, uh, when I think a Tyler Stevenson at what would be 25, 26 years old would kind of be in that same spot to take over. So, um, you know, if you ask me how to spend somebody else's money, uh, I would be hard-pressed to find a better fit uh, than Grandall uh, for what the Reds could use going forward. Um, the funny thing about that is, uh, beyond Grandall, if you start looking at what the Reds need and what else is out there, uh, another name that keeps popping up as a guy that uh, could fill a void for what the Reds really are looking for, um, which is up the middle. Uh, you know, Jose Iglesias obviously was not expected to be uh, a shortstop for the Reds this year. He was brought in on, a, on a, a minor league deal, but took over and played competently there and had big moments this year. He's a free agent. Uh, Scooter Jeanette is gone. Um, shortstop and second base are still kind of a question mark right now. And easily the biggest name who is an available shortstop close to his prime uh, heading into this offseason um, is Didi Gregorius, also a former Cincinnati Red. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, uh, on Didi, independent of the whole Green Dollar discussion? Because obviously we've seen him connected more directly with the Reds, but even if the Reds don't end up chasing Grandal and don't sign him, what are your thoughts on the idea of Didi being 
the next red shortstop and what he would bring, what he would cost, and whether or not that seems like the right kind of fit uh, for the Reds going forward. Uh, Tony, how about you start off? Yeah, I like Didi as a as a uh, you know addition to shortstop. He's he still seems to be even with his uh, with his injury issues this season. He still seems to be uh, one of the better defensive shortstops around. Um, and then you know obviously you, know, you you get to his his power that he has, which you know okay everybody hits for power now. You know the, with, with with the baseball <laughs> uh, being being what it is, but you know Didi. Hit you know twenty homers in twenty sixteen, twenty five in twenty seventeen, twenty seven last year, and then sixteen this year in just eighty two games. So he's he's obviously you know really added added a lot of pop in his bat o- over the years. His his walk rate is a little bit inconsistent, but you know you're willing to you're you're willing to uh, maybe discount this season because uh, a little bit because of his, uh, his, his injury issues. But you know, you, you look at who else the Reds have at shortstop and, and it's, it's not a, it's not a great, you know, list. And, and Gregorius, I don't think is going to cost you what Grandall is going to cost you. I, I don't, I don't think that you're going to need to, you know, shell out $65 million necessarily, $70 million to land somebody like Didi Gregorius. So, uh, you know, if you can, if you can still, if you can manage to bring someone like him in uh, on a four year deal that, you know, that might be more in the, in the 55, you know, $60 million range, you know, that, that seems like a, a a good, a a good bet. And because of the fact that he has made, he, he had made such, you know, such consistent offensive progress uh, over the course of his career before before this season, uh, you know that's that's really that's really promising, uh, and I you know I, again it, it's just when you look at the shortstops that that are currently in this organization, there's there's just really no no comparison uh, to, to even hold up besides maybe, you know, if, if you're really, if you really think Jonathan India is, is the future shortstop of the Reds, which he, which he might be if they decide that he is. Uh, but you know, I, unless that's the kind of, uh, dream you're living by, uh, it, it's, it, there, there really aren't a whole lot of in-house replacements for that sort of thing. So, so. I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still high on, I'm still high on Jose Garcia, but he's at least two years away at this point. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, beyond that, uh, Jonathan India is pretty much the next best guess at this point, and the Reds basically played him not at shortstop not, this entire season. I don't season. think he's played shortstop at all, has he? Right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, uh, with, with Didi, he's one of those guys where uh, I think over his last uh, or his three most productive seasons prior to this year, when he finally had his breakout and got to the Yankees, he's a 319 on base percentage guy. And obviously he brings a plus glove to the plate and he brings the ability to hit home runs. Um, the question for me becomes, if you take him out of that Yankees lineup, which and now I'm the concept of lineup protection is something that I don't want to jump into too great here because I don't think it's a it's never a, a who's in front and who's directly behind kind of thing uh, but as a one through nine thing I do think it is something that exists because it exhausts pitchers um, a 319 on base percentage given the lineups that the Yankees have rolled out over the last couple seasons um, 
And the ability to hit 20 home runs, despite the fact that his home ballpark was Yankee Stadium, which is every bit as homer prone as Great American Ballpark, is he really that much of a distinct upgrade over what Freddie Galvis could be in 2020? A guy who can hit 20 plus home runs and get on base about 30% of the time, um, who already is in house under a team option for 5.5 million bucks. That's the one thing where I wonder whether or not uh, it's a distinct upgrade. You know, obviously Galvis down the road, he's older, uh, over a four year window, I would fully expect Didi Gregorius to be significantly better than him. But on a one year yeah. thing, if you're looking for 24 home runs and a 306 on base percentage from your shortstop, do you already have that in place? And right. if so, does that make Didi uh, a luxury for the 2020 season when you might be able to save that funds to go out and buy for 2021 to 2023 or whatnot? Uh, BK, what do you think, man? Yeah, I think, I mean, it It really kind of depends on what you're looking for as far as do you want to solve that shortstop issue now or do you want to wait a year and try and solve it with the free agent crop then? Because – uh, as, as you guys alluded to, obviously nobody coming through the organization to fill that need. Um, you know, the guy that I think we thought was the best chance to be the guy in Jose Peraza is looking more and more like he's not the guy. So, you know, really you are probably looking at free agents to be the ones to man that position for the next handful of years until, you know, hopefully Jose Garcia makes his way up here. But you know, really, it if if you decide to kind of roll the dice with Galvis, you're going to end up looking in you know a year from now, and are you going to find a guy better suited for that than Didi Gregorius? Then, and um, you know, for my money, I, I don't think you are. I if if I'm the Reds, I I take a long hard look at Didi and see see if you can kind of convince him. I I'm sure that. You know, uh, the Yankees are will probably make some kind of move to bring him back um, if they can. But um, I, I would like to see the Reds try and pull something off like that because, you know, it's it's not something that they're just going to figure out. It's not something where, you know, maybe Jose Peraza is going to find, find out how to figure out how to play defense and figure out how to get on base and – you know, I, I don't think the Reds can count on that. Um, and I, I feel like that's kind of been their MO the last couple of years is they they pick up these kind of lottery ticket guys and, you know, one out of every 10 of them works out. And, you know, you get your Eugenio Suarez to you know, hit 50 homers for you. But uh, I, I don't think that uh, the Reds have that guy in the organization right now at shortstop. So. Um, right. You know, I, I think that they they should go with a more proven guy. I, I like that. Uh, obviously, Gregorius has um, some playoff experience. Mm-hmm. Something that Freddie Galvis uh, does not bring to the team, as far as I know. Um, he hasn't really played on on good teams the same way Didi has. So um, yeah, I, I I think that that would be a good uh, a good move if you can get him at a reasonable deal. Yeah, well, if, you're, if you're looking for one a one year uh, upgrade at shortstop, even Jonathan VR just had a four win season for the Orioles, and <laughs> you could probably get him for pennies. You know, right. with how with how far away Baltimore is, 
you could probably trade not a whole lot of prospect talent to get Jonathan VR for a year. So, mm-hmm. so that I think that's that's another interesting it, uh, option if the Reds don't want to commit necessarily sixty to seventy million dollars for Orius right. and also aren't get also don't want to say because we're not doing that. Here's Freddie Galvis. You know, Jonathan VR <laughs> made less than five million dollars this year. Uh, and, and, and all 162 games. So I think, you know, there's Jonathan VR, there's, there's Andrelson Simmons also in the last year of his deal coming into this season. Mm. You know, there's, there are, there are also, there, there's trade options. If, if a guy like Gregorius becomes too expensive for the, for the Reds, uh, liking, you know, shortstop is one area where you could see them going, you know, going in the direction of sort of a stop gap of a, of a one year, one year, uh, you know, rental kind of deal the way they uh, did with the pitchers last last winter. Yeah, and I, to, to circle it back a little bit, this all kind of comes back to exactly how healthy Nick Senzel and his torn labrum and his throwing shoulder are going to be. Because uh, this is a guy who obviously came up as an infielder and had never played center field before last year um, and then was thrust into being a center fielder and was okay out there and looked to be getting better out there, um, but still isn't a center fielder and is now going to be tasked with coming back from a labrum tear in his throwing shoulder that who knows, you know, who knows what that's going to do to his ability to play center field and be a competent uh, defensive center fielder with his arm out there also. And if you're moving him back to the infield, uh, suddenly an infield of uh, Suarez, Galvis, Senzel, if healthy, and Votto seems okay. And then maybe you try to address that by adding an outfielder. Um, and that's one of those things that it's hard to predict now because it's going to take him several months to get close enough to healthy to where the Reds could really know. And they're going to have to make moves before they find out exactly how healthy he is. So, um, yeah, it's interesting, man. Um, and just to kind of wrap it, it's, it's funny. We, you know, we talked about the Reds finally being able to uh, or being willing to spend money in free agency, which is something that they've never really done before. Uh, it's worth emphasizing and giving them credit for the fact that the Reds have – the Reds have spent a shitload of money on contracts. They've given Joey Votto $225 million. They gave Brandon Phillips damn near $100 million. They gave Homer Bailey $100 million as well. They've spent money. It's just been on guys that they drafted and that they knew. So how funny would it be for the biggest free agent contracts in history, in the history of the Reds organization, to be doled out to guys like Yasmani Grandal and Didi Gregorius, who they also drafted and who they know, <laughs> you know, um, because that's what it takes for them to finally spend money in the quote unquote free agent market. Despite the fact that it's still kind of giving money to guys that they, they drafted, developed and knew all about on the, on the front end. So um, one thing I think is pretty certain is that it sounds like if the reds are quiet from now until March, uh, the proverbial heads should roll because they have not only set the stage with the moves they made this year, uh, looking straight at Taylor Trammell for Trevor Bauer, uh, but also the comments that we've seen and the hires they've made this week. If they don't continue to make moves beyond this, uh, they've pretty much shoved their foot fully down their mouth. And uh, uh, I don't expect that to be what happens. I think they will make some major moves, um, but they have certainly, certainly hyped it up to the point where uh, I think we've got a lot to look forward to and expect in this offseason, uh, finally, for the Reds. And it's worth giving them credit. You know, this time last year, they could have said the same things and we might have been skeptical. They brought in Sonny Gray. They brought in Yasiel yeah. Puig. They brought in Alex Wood. They brought in Tanner Rourke. They got some guys last year, too, and it didn't quite That's... pan out. But this year, eh, 
I, I would be less shocked because they've at least got a track record of doing it now. So yeah, like last year they they did a bold thing and they said that they were going to go get the pitching and they they made a bunch of deals and the guys that they traded for in large part worked out. You know, Sonny Gray worked out, Tanner Rourke worked out. So um, you know, uh, at this point, as they say that they're going to you know increase payroll and go out and be aggressive with free agent signings. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they have in store. 100%. So, well, for that, I guess it's about time we wrapped. We can go back and watch this Dodgers, uh, uh, nationals game one and see what the heck's going on in the rest of the national league division series. That does not include the reds for yet another year. Um, if you want to, you can find us at redreporter.com where we uh, put a lot of these uh, yelling words into actual typed out words and write about a lot of crap there. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Red Reporter where we try to stay fairly engaged with uh, what the Reds are up to as well. Um, we are finally on Spotify. So Baseball Jones, you can find us on Spotify now uh, as well as SoundCloud and iTunes and all the rest of the spots that you can normally find the Red Reporter podcast. Um yeah, so hopefully uh, the playoffs look like they're going to be some fun, and hopefully the Reds will make some fireworks down the road as well. Uh, for Tony and for BK, uh, I'm Wick, and uh, let's uh, let's wrap this episode. So thanks, guys, and we will see you all next week. Yeah.